It's, uh, it's so good to be with you. Um, it's a heavy day. It's a heavy day. I'm trying to skirt around any of that. Um, was going to be preaching in the Daniel series. Obviously, going to go in a different direction. Before I dive in, I just want to say a couple things without wasting too much time. In all sincerity, I say this behind your back, uh, Table Church is one of my favorite churches in the world. That really is true. I believe uniquely in who you are and in what you're doing. There's a specific character to this community that I think is just so important, not only for DC, but for the world. So thank you for your witness. Um, thank you for making me feel so at home. Nobody's paying me to say any of this. I just, I really, really believe in you. You make me feel like family and I'm glad to be here. I know Pastor Kevin, and we were texting at length actually yesterday, would want to be here, especially given the weight of the moment we're in. Uh, and yet there's another side of me. I don't know, you know, as somebody, as those of you who know Pastor Kevin, you know that he carries you heavily on his heart and carries the things of God heavily on his heart. And there's another part of me that is glad that this great man of God gets to be far, far away for three weeks for his own sake. Um, but I know that he's praying for you and I know that he wishes he could be here. And I have prayed and hoped because I, I think he's one of the most tremendous pastors and leaders that I know anywhere. I would represent him and his heart well uh, in this moment. I take that very seriously. But uh, it's, it's really, really good uh, to be with you all in any circumstance. I want to read a text and then we'll move forward from there. Mark chapter 5 is where I'm going if you want to, to turn with me. I've barely slept for the last two nights. Kind of feel like I need to get this word out of my system before I explode. But with God's help, I also probably need to pace myself just a little bit and not start with, I don't know, screaming. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with the chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains. But the chains he wrenched apart. The shackles... He broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter into them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And finally, if you'd humor me with one more very short reading... Mark chapter 5 is what I want to talk about, but I've had on my heart these last two days as well, the text in Luke 4 where Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah, reminding me what the point of a moment like this, what the point of preaching the gospel is and always been. Luke 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Already we've prayed, we've already worshipped. But in this particular space, 
where we have come to hear a word from you. I want to just specifically welcome you, Spirit of God, to welcome your comfort, to welcome your conviction, to come and swirl under the, just in the void and the chaos with us, where you bring order and beauty and life, even out of the most broken things. Already we've prayed this morning for Charlottesville, but now Lord, knowing that we have an obligation to our brothers and sisters to faithfully live out your witness within our own city and our own community, we ask you for the grace today to hear a word from you. And I pray specifically, Holy Spirit, because I'm aware that there are many ditches. <laughs> I'm aware that there are um, many ways to get off course, and I just want unusual focus and clarity today, that you would remove anything that would distract and inhibit, and that you would allow us this morning to hear a clear, crisp word from you. Pray, Lord, not only for this message, that you would fill us with your spirit as we receive from you in such a way that all your sons and daughters here would prophesy, would speak your truth. We ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. So here's how this is going to go. I try to be discerning. I try to do the best I can to speak what I feel like the Lord gives me to say. So I don't feel like I you know, can, can negotiate about any of that. I have to say what I feel like the Lord has given me to say. The message has to come forth. But there are two ways I can do this. So this is the interactive portion of the program. It's not a rhetorical question. I can either wade in or I can dive in. Which do you prefer? Wade or dive? Well, there seems to be a consensus. Okay. America is in need of an exorcism of a 400-year-old demon called white supremacy. That's the diving in. America is in need of an exorcism of a 400-year-old demon called white supremacy. That's the only way I know how to say it. What I want to talk about this morning is not um, just about political ideology, though it has political implications. I want to talk about what the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians when he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of spiritual darkness in high places. Or as Paul will say in another place, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Watching the news as you have over the course of these last couple of days, I just don't have any other words for what we're seeing. But demonic, demonic. How to parse all this out, even this language of principalities and powers. You know, more conservative Christians and people who grew up like I did in a very Pentecostal, charismatic context, when we talk about principalities and powers, we meant Satan. We meant real devil. I've known more progressive people that will use language like principalities and powers, and they're talking about evil that's embedded in structures and systems, uh, systemic forms of injustice and the like. So if you want to know which I mean, the answer is yes. I believe in a real devil, I believe in a real Satan, and I believe in embedded forms of institutional systemic injustice and violence. I believe in all of those things. I think part of the difficulty, though, in stepping into a moment like this one is that um, I think everybody on some form or another is trying to figure out how to talk about all of this in a way that is not partisan. Uh, I believe in the kingdom of God. The primary proclamation of Jesus Christ on the earth is the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And I do, do believe that the kingdom of God is neither right nor left, is neither Republican nor Democrat, is something very different, something very other. So the last thing I want to do is to wade into something that would feel too partisan, and yet 
Here's the big caveat, y'all. The gospel is deeply political. It has to do with real life. And I believe the primary reason that we're in the moment that we're in is not because of open, brazen, white supremacists, but because of silent preachers and teachers who have essentially decided that we're all right with Jesus being the Savior and Lord over people's souls in a magical spirit world. And we're going to leave the politics as real life up to somebody else. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we call Jesus Lord, when we claim that Jesus is Lord, it has political implications. It means stuff for real life. So sometimes you can't help but when you're speaking the truth of the gospel, which has always been about setting the captive free and about opening up the side of the bride. At some point, sometime, you're going to run amok with somebody's politics and maybe everybody's politics. So again, none of this is intended to be partisan. And yet at the same time, man, wow. How do we say it? I've been struggling for the last two years to figure out how to name some of these realities. Uh, I do that with care. I want to do that with pastoral wisdom and precision. But here's the thing, and maybe now's a good time to actually talk about the text, right? Context there for just a minute, and then we'll get back to where we are. So Jesus, when he comes here to the other side, there's a man who is possessed by a legion of demons and he's living among the tombs. He's cutting himself with stones. He's howling day and night. And when this man encounters Jesus, he recognizes the authority in Jesus and immediately recoils, afraid that Jesus is going to cast him out. For me, the really significant moment in this text, and it's what I want to put the weight down on this morning, is that before Jesus casts this legion of demons out of this man, he first asked a question. And that question that he asked is, what is your name? What is your name? I've been thinking about that nonstop for two days. What's the point in Jesus asking the question, what is your name? He's the son of God. I I'm presuming that Jesus knows <laughs> the names of these spirits. Right? Like, I don't think he's inquiring to get the information. Kind of reminds me in Genesis, right, of when God asked in the garden to Adam and Eve, where are you? Not looking for information. He's aware of where they are. So I don't think when Jesus asked, what is your name, that he's unaware of the name of these spirits. But here's the thing I think we're really to hear. There's something significant about those spirits being named. There's something significant about that which is in darkness being brought up into the light. There's something significant about the things that are lurking in the shadows, the things that we don't have language for, the things that we don't want to talk about, the things that we don't feel comfortable speaking. There's something significant that happens in the naming of those things that we do not want to name. Because the fact of the matter is, we cannot cast out spirits that we are not willing to name. Is anybody hearing me preach right now? Yes. We can't cast out spirits that we're not willing to name. So I don't know how, how to have a conversation about this and not name things. The trouble with naming things is that then all of a sudden the story starts to get particular. The trouble with naming things, the trouble with naming specific principalities and powers and strongholds is that we'll start to name principalities and powers that have enslaved us. The trouble with naming things is that we end up having to own our own complicity in the brokenness that exists in the world. The trouble with naming things is that people will be implicated not least of all ourselves. My God, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. And I'm trying to stay sane in this moment. People will be implicated, not the least of all ourselves. So we don't want to, we don't want to name stuff, but we have to name some things. We have to name some things. So friends, bear with me through this, through all of this, I hope. You don't, no matter how much you hate this message, I hope you stick around for all of it. You know, then you'll have 
more to criticize perhaps by the time it's over. I don't know. But here's the thing. For as much as I believe that the kingdom of God is not partisan, it's neither right nor left, Republican or Democrat, and as much as I believe that the kingdom transcends any and all of those kinds of realities, uh, as much as I believe that it is good and right and appropriate that Christians, those of us in the body of Christ, are able to have significant disagreements about any and all kinds of policies and issues, we ought to have a broad continuum uh, of people who, who, who want and believe in small, skeletal government and people who believe that systemic change can be accomplished through big government. You're all welcome at the same table. What you believe about the size and scale and scope of the government doesn't have anything to do with how you identify as a follower of Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? That's true, right? There are all kinds of, there's all kinds of room. There's all kinds of room. There are all kinds of things we can disagree on, even severely disagree on. And that'd be good and that'd be right. And yet, here's the tension that I think we live in. On the one hand, I deeply and passionately believe that the kingdom of God is not partisan in any form. The kingdom of God cannot be co-opted by partisan politics. The kingdom of God is neither right nor left. The kingdom of God is neither Republican nor Democrat. It's always something other, I believe that, than any structure or system of this world. The kingdom is not partisan. But the kingdom of God is deeply political. And we have to say that. Because if we don't believe the kingdom is political, here's what I mean when I say that. The kingdom has to do with how our lives are ordered in the world. And I believe that part of the reason that we are where we are at this particular moment in our culture is not just because of terrible white supremacists. Historically with hoods, now apparently they're not even using the hoods, just out in the open, right? Not just those folks, but the silence of good people who don't want to be political, don't want to get into real life stuff. Therefore, we preach that Jesus Christ is savior over some magical fairy tale spirit land. And our goal is to get people's spirits saved in some disembodied form. You know, in the New Testament, we call that Gnosticism. To call Jesus Lord is to say that Jesus is Lord over the world. Whether or not you're aware of this, Jesus has once jurisdiction in our real lives. The prayer that Christians have been praying for 2,000 years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The goal, the movement towards the end is so that ultimately the rule and reign of God in heaven will ultimately be realized on the earth. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're anticipating. That's what we're working and striving for. So there's no way that talking about the kingdom can't get political, especially when in a time like now, quite frankly, as much as I might want to stay out of everybody else's politics, as a preacher, they keep getting into my lane. <laughs> I'm, having, I'm really having fun with this tonight for some reason. They are just getting into my lane. I don't want y'all in my lane, but... The toxic things happening right now affect people's souls, affect people's real lives, affect communities. So I think in that way they have to be named. So I don't, I hope you'll stay with me to the end, even if it just gives you more ammunition to dislike the sermon. I don't, I don't know how to give a whole sermon without naming President Trump in some form. Not going to be about that long. And I can say more about that in a few minutes. Why I won't talk about that for long. But that's quite the backdrop for me. You know, I've, I've been pretty outspoken about some things uh, around that phenomenon for a long time. It's got me in a good deal of trouble, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm not being a martyr. <laughs> but it has got me into some trouble. You know, and um, the thing about it is, there again, like, I just don't, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't critique anything. I can't talk about anything in that direction without... Well, what about Hillary? And are you like, it's just, huh. you know, here's, here's my deal, folks. It's just as a person who believes the accusation is intrinsically evil, I thought there's no getting around that surrounding that broader phenomenon, there's an awful lot of accusation going on. There's accusation going on in all directions, in all kinds of politics, to be sure. Absolutely. But I do feel like there's a unique sort of embodied accusation that we've kind of been living under. And that um, I'll be the first one to say that I am complicit in 
Often what I find, and I think a lot of you will identify with this, as a person who believes that there is a kingdom of vocation towards peacemaking and towards justice, is that I find myself trying to engage certain kinds of principalities and powers in a constructive way. But, you know, if you're not careful, the toxicity of the very thing that you're trying to engage gets into you and you start resisting in that same spirit. If I quote Jesus here also from Mark's gospel, Satan cannot cast out Satan. And then you have a problem because now the energy that you're expending to try to resist or to transform or to change takes on the same character of the thing that you're trying to resist and then you find yourself in the same place so all that's very tricky and there's no attempt here to try to place all the blame on president trump and lord knows not on people who voted for him and if i need to make this disclaimer because in good grief i feel like i'm making more disclaimers right now that i want to but here you go of course there's great room within the body of christ for diversity on any and all kinds of issues you can be a Christian and have a strong belief that, the, that government should be small. You can be a Christian and have a strong belief that uh, government systems should be large and should fight oppression. Okay, great, awesome. You can be a Christian and you can have different convictions about how government works best between states and local government and federal, like and a thousand other things. There's plenty of room for all that stuff. And yet I think we're in a time where, again, I just want to say the accusation that I feel like we've let loose is so toxic and so bad for us. Interesting to me right now, in a time in which I think language does matter and rhetoric does matter, how difficult it seems to be for some of us to name some of these basic realities, especially around these issues of race. Um, I don't know. How do I want to say this? Well, I'll, I'll say it the way I, something like the way I said it this morning. When Elijah is squaring off against the prophets of Baal and uh, they have this showdown, I've had that image in my head for the last few days, it would not be fair to say in this confrontation that there are many sides. Can I say it like that? In the fight the contest between light and darkness there aren't many sides between the advocate and the accuser there aren't many sides uh, between the oppressed and the oppressor there aren't many sides some of these things ought not to be hard but I feel like right now the body of Christ the bride of Christ is in such confusion around all of this and quite frankly people are so afraid I'm not trying to take anybody down the road but so many dear friends that I know in Christian ministry who see all this stuff the same way but are scared to death to say their congregations because they don't want to run off the big givers. And I honestly, I understand it. I feel that pressure too. I also need to pay my bills. So I get it. I am not trying to throw shade at anybody. I don't know why all of a sudden the last few days I keep using all these super millennial terms. I'm all like throwing shade and I'm not here for it, and I'm like, who, who is talking right now? I didn't know where that came from. The Holy Spirit, evidently. No, but I just, um, I, just, uh, just our inability to name these things. And the reason I feel like in particular, to bring things full circle here a bit, that the white supremacy thing needs to be named. Because I really do believe that there are broader things happening here and this is why i want to be very careful about how i frame this even in terms of talking about president trump whom i do pray for um and for all of our leaders part of the reason i feel like it's so important to to name these realities is because i think if we're not able to name them in a way that's honest if we're not na able to, to to name them we can't utter them we can't repent we can't find our own place in these things Repentance, I think, is the, the first and most important reason that some of these things have to be named. I'm constantly in a process these days of trying to discern and be aware of the ways that I, as, as a white American, and I would even say, broadly speaking, a white evangelical, more or less. Other people might say, really crazy out there, Pentecostal. But more or less an evangelical, white evangelical, like the things that and I know right now things are so politicized. I talk about things like this. And people go, oh, that just sounds like liberal ideology. Man, this is, this is not liberal ideology. This is gospel 101. P 
Peter in the day of Pentecost says, God sent you Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him, God has raised him from the dead. The idea is not that that's the exact crowd who killed Jesus. The idea is rather that we are all complicit in a God-crucifying, love-denying world. And part and parcel of what it is to be a Christian is to own our part in that, is to own our place. And those of us who are white North American Christians have not done a really good job of owning our place. Now, what some folks want to do, and I think this would be valid, right? I, I'm interested in things I will hear when I'll talk about these things, even one-on-one, -on -one, and I do that, honestly, across coffee. I mean, like, I, I got the same friends and family that y'all do. How's that? I got the same uncles, and they are not impressed that I wrote a book. You know what I'm saying? So I'm having these conversations just like you guys are. And when I'm having these conversations across the table, and I hear things like, oh, you know, racism, I was 50 years ago, oh gosh. I could talk about history, I could talk about sociological blah, 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 but since I'm a preacher, let me keep things focused somewhere around this text. I started off the sermon by saying that America needs nothing less than an exorcism from a 400-year-old demon of white supremacy. If you think that that kind of demonism, that kind of entrenched, embedded history, all those things that are so entangled in the very fabric of our identity as a country, if you think that somehow, magically, all of that disappeared, in the last few decades and is not with us, you have lost your mind. Those forces are every bit as much in the world. They're every bit as active. And what I think we're seeing right now is that these things that we thought we had run off, we actually just pushed a little bit underground. And part of what's painful right now is that all the things that have been underground are now starting to be illuminated, aren't they? Coming out of the woodwork. And yet, for anybody who's paying attention, it's, none of it is new. Am I right? None of this, you really think that in this, uh, well, yeah, a lot of stuff just, this weekend a lot of people decided to be racist. That was a bad weekend. <laughs> just a, just a, something about the eclipse or something. Just a really racist time on the calendar. <laughs> no, like these things have been around forever. My sense of it, honestly, and um, again, I don't claim to be some sort of prophet or whatever but like I, my sense is I don't believe that God is orchestrating everything that's happening only because that's not how I think about God another conversation for another time I don't think he's pulling all the strings but I do believe this I believe that God how God may be leveraging what's happening right now is that it's not until the things that have been in darkness are brought into light and exposed can be that they can be healed now, I believe, I really believe that's the agenda of the Holy Spirit right now. Is that things are being exposed and brought in the light so they can be healed. Things are being named so they can be cast out. That's what I am trying to do these days. Is instead of, and I, there's nothing wrong with having moments where it just is all disillusioning and awful and what's happening. But try, that's the angle I'm looking for is, Lord, in your grace, how is it that you might be wanting to leverage even these things? for something that could bring healing. I don't know about y'all, but my prayer even in a weekend like this, and I believe this, is that I, my hope and prayer is that what we've seen even this weekend is not the beginning of some new rise or energy behind white supremacy, but the beginning of the end of that. that things are being brought out and named in such a way. But once again, none of that works unless we, unless we resist and unless we name. I feel like I'm saying a lot of things tonight. I'm doing that thing I do sometimes, just sort of surfing and hoping the Holy Spirit is involved in that in some way or another. Can I tell you a story, though, about something that happened to me yesterday? And this is, I have no reason to make this up. I was flying from Tulsa to here through Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, I hate DFW. It's my least favorite piece of property. <laughs> I don't know how y'all are on like a literal hell. But however, there might be, if there's a place of actual brimstone and fire, I still think DFW is someplace beneath it. I hate it. I hate it with a, with a holy hatred. And I do everything I can to try to avoid being there for any amount of time. And somehow when I booked this flight for yesterday, I booked myself with a three-hour layover at DFW. 
And so Friday night, I'm looking at my itinerary and thinking, man, that, that, wh what was I thinking? And I was this close to changing my flight. True story. About to change my flight to just a better route where I'd have, uh, wasn't going to fly through DFW at all and have a 30-minute layover. And I was about to click the button. Was it going to even really cost any money? And I honestly felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me, which I thought was just weird. I don't feel like the Holy Spirit just speaks to me all the time and everything, but I felt like kind of frozen. Like I, was just, I couldn't hit the button. I'm like, I, don't, I have no idea what that's about. But I felt like I just couldn't do it. It was the strangest thing. So yesterday I'm flying through DFW. I get off the, the airplane and in Terminal D, and I hear an announcement over the intercom saying that there's going to be a prayer service in the little interfaith chapel. Now, I, I don't know about y'all. I've never been to a, uh, a prayer service at one of the little airport chapels. I don't know what those are like anywhere else. But immediately I felt like something inside me was like, you're going to that. I'm going to that. So I walked in, sat down. There were three of us there in this little chapel. African-American lady in her, I'd guess to be in her mid-50s or so. And so she starts to, to preach. Man, the, the sermon was great. It was a good word. It was an encouraging word. Um, and it ministered to me. I was in tears through most of it. it just, I just, and I, I kind of thought that's why I was there. Is I thought, I'm just here for some good encouragement. It was a really, really lovely time. And, you know, hey, that's 30 minutes out of that three-hour layover in a place that the Holy Spirit hates. So this is, like, this is a, it's a great break. But when it was over, I came up to the lady and I asked her to, to pray for me. And she started to pray for me, some things that were incredibly specific. She started to pray specifically about the places that I'm going and specifically prayed about me having a role in speaking about some of these very realities, uh, some of these racial tensions, which I thought was kind of unbelievable. Um, and she said a couple things that are still kind of ringing in my ear. So now I'm just delivering the mail. I'm just telling you what she told me. She said, when you talk about these things, it's important that you're particular. It's important that you name them. But don't talk about the man too much. Talk about the principality behind the man. That's what she told me. I've never met this lady in my life. Talk about the principality behind them. Yes, ma'am. So that's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to talk just about the man, but more so to the principality behind the man, which I really think is the larger issue. Because here's the thing I, that I think we, we do need to get is for even for those of us who have a lot of concerns about the direction we're in right now, let's be clear. This spirit of racism and white supremacy was not voted in and will not be voted out. Anybody hear what I'm saying? We didn't vote it in, we're not gonna vote it out. That's not how any of that works. No matter who comes and who goes, you don't vote out a spirit. Man, I feel so like Pentecostal and preachy tonight. You cast out spirits. So when they go, you cast them out. And you can't negotiate with them. You can't toy with them. You can't collude with them to get other things done. Which I feel like is part of the issue right now among the people of God. Is that we've become so pragmatic and practical that we think it might be alright to collude with some things that deep down we know are dark and demonic. But there, we do need to get some good things done. So make a few compromises. I really feel like I might be crossing a line right here so give me grace if that's the case when i have conversations with people again keep in mind my interest in all this is from as a I mean, I'm sort of a pastor i was a pastor right now i'm basically a homeless guy without a job <laughs> i was a pastor but it's kind of like right now i just sort of wander around and write poems and talk about jesus it's great <laughs> I, I thought that was really funny and like nobody else did that's uh, i really hate it when that happens but again, my lens through all these, these things are spiritual. So not that I'm not interested in other parts of the conversation, but I feel like we're on these conversations like, why do you think about collusion with Russia? You know, I don't know about any of that. I, I'm concerned about collusion with the devil. <laughs> See, there's not a good way to say that. Not even a good way to tweet that, right? <laughs> good gracious, I, that just came out of my mouth. It is true, though, right? Is this, I feel like that in our desire to get certain ends that we think are good, not being cautious about what we're partnering with and what it means.
Part of the reason that, I, that I'm writing this just a little bit, and I promise I'm, I think I'm almost done. I'm at least shifting into the last, last little stretch here. But part of why I feel all this so strongly is that, you know, I talk about the thing about accusation. I feel like so much of what's happening in our politics right now revolves, I mean, it's not a peripheral aspect, like the central character of it is that is condemnation and accusation of our neighbors. And so I'm finding even in churches, for example, right now, where people traditionally have cared really well for refugees. You know, when you demonize them and villainize them and say they're out to get you, you know, they want to rape your wife and kill your kids and they're horrible people, then you pass the plate. Shockingly, people are less likely to give. Amazingly. Because that's a spirit that we're tapping into. And we can't compartmentalize somehow our life out there in real life political world from who we are in here. Does that make sense? So I see these things increasingly encroaching on the church and I think they're so dangerous. But to bring this thing full circle in this ambling, super fun message about demons and white supremacy, the last thing that this lady told me yesterday was she said, while it's important to name everything that's happening, don't leave people in a place of despair. Never leave them in a place of despair. Make sure you take them always to the hope of Jesus. And so just in these last couple moments that we have, that's really where I want to land the plane is with the hope of Jesus. I want to remind you that right now in this moment, the reason that Jesus ascended even to the right hand of God the Father, that's not about Jesus leaving us alone. The ascension is all about Jesus rising to take his proper place as Lord and ruler over the cosmos. He hasn't left us alone. He's left us with the Holy Spirit. He sent us another comforter. So the same spirit that empowered and filled Jesus of Nazareth is now at work in us right now. And we are called to be filled with that spirit. Because if we're filled with the spirit of God, we'll be filled with the love of God. We are called to walk in both the gifts and the fruit of that spirit. And we have to do it in a moment like this. And this is where I'd even want to challenge gently some of my maybe more progressive friends who care about peace and justice, but prayer is kind of irrelevant to you. Folks, trying to face down the principalities and powers that we're encountering right now, you are not gonna last for five minutes without a prayer life, without deep saturation in the presence of Jesus. You're just not gonna hold up. You're not going to hold up. It's too discouraging. And those forces that I believe are real are too toxic. There's a great story in the book of Acts where these seven sons of Sceva attempt to drive out an evil spirit. Anybody remember this story? And when they attempt to cast the spirit out of this man, what they say is, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, I adjure you, come out. And in a truly comical response, the spirit answers through this person to say, Jesus do I know, and Paul do I know, but who are you? And tear them to shreds. Isn't that a great story? <sighs> I do think actually it's a really funny story. Jesus do I know, Paul do I know, but who are you? We have to know who we are. We have to be grounded in God's presence. We have to keep something of the sweetness of the Holy Spirit in us, no matter what's happening in the world out there. We have to engage that with the love of God. Doesn't mean there's not a place to be angry or hurt, but we have to be bathed in love, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be courageous enough to, to name some of these realities. We have to name them in our own lives. I feel like I felt this way this morning too, like it's, I'm opening up Pandora's box and there's all these implications right that I can't go into. All these things about how we do this in our community, but you know, I'm really not worried about that because I know that Table Church is walking people every week through what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in community and to a broader community. Tonight's focus is much more simple. Are we going to name these things? Because as much as our rhetoric matters, I will say again, the best way that we bring change and transformation to the body of Christ is that we model repentance, not just words, but that we repent. What does it look like for our own lives to be bent towards reconciliation in ways they have not been before? Are we willing to name the ways that we are complicit in systems of principalities and powers? Are we willing to be honest about those things? Are we willing to renounce and to denounce those things? Are we willing to bring those things out into the light? If we do that, and I truly believe this church that if we will allow these times, instead of cowering in fear, if we allow ourselves to be freshly filled 
with the real power of the real Holy Spirit. There is massive social and systemic change that I believe that we can and should affect. It's one of the reasons I'm such a student of the civil rights movement is we have such a history in our own backyard right here in the church in America for what it looks like to be a truly prophetic witness. But I will contend gently, uh, Charles Marsh's great book, The Beloved Community, uh, spells this out, I think, in a, in, a, in a really wonderful way, how even the civil rights movement, part of its power is that it was so rooted in the story of the God of the Exodus, and it was so rooted in the story of Jesus of Nazareth and his life, his death, his resurrection, that part of what happens in the movement years after King, part of why, how it loses momentum, is that it loses that theological framework and center. And you can't have a transformational movement without a deep spirituality. Does it work? It's not transformational anymore. It's why we have to have such deep roots. It's why we have to be so prayerful. It's why we have to be so bathed in God's presence. I promise I'm shutting up. I hope you're not bored. But really, I, I just, I do believe if I can be Pentecostal on you for a moment, scripture's been coming to my mind all day. Greater is he that is in you than he that is within the world. I can go Old Testament on y'all. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I believe those things to be true. They have to be appropriated, but I believe that they're true. And I believe that a truly Spirit-filled, humble, vulnerable, authentic witness in the face of systemic evil, in the face of white supremacy, can do great power in the world right here, right now. Stand with me, if you would. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, worship team. Once again, I feel like I've said a lot of things. And you know what? In this moment, I don't even, uh, I love you, but I don't care how you feel about it. Exactly. Actually, I, I, I do care, but in a particular way. If any of this is rubbing you the wrong way, as we take a moment to pray, I would ask you to invite the Holy Spirit into that and even be open to the prospect, maybe, just maybe, that maybe the Holy Spirit is kind of the pebble in your shoe about some of these things. Where, if there is resistance to any of this, where is that coming from? What does that mean? What might God be trying to illuminate inside of you? In just a few moments, we will come to the table of the Lord. And I do believe that this is the most powerful thing we'll ever do, especially in a fractured time, because I, it is at the table of the Lord that this reality is made known to us again that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. But we are one through the blood of Jesus. This grounds us. This reminds us of who we are. But before we do that, I want us to take a few moments to pray. And as we did in the first service this morning, specifically to take some time to name some things, to own up to some things, confess some things. You know, in a few moments, as part of the kind of creedal confession, we'll confess our sins in a general way, but in a way that's particular. And then also, I'm just trying to give you a clear sense of where we're headed so nobody feels misled, wondering what it would look like to have even a few moments, even if this feels a little risky, or out there, a little charismatic, I don't know, what it would look like for us as, uh, just as the people of God with one voice to name some of these principalities and powers and in our own way to, to call them out, to resist them, to cast them out. I don't know, man. I'm not one of these people who believes like, you know, you, I, I, I'm not going around like speaking sports cars into existence, you know what I mean? I'm not a televangelist, not like that. But I really do believe that how we speak, especially when we speak in not optimism, but in hard-edged hope, when we speak the hope of God, stuff happens. With the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, prophesying over the valley of dry bones, prophesying to the wind. There's something that happens when the people of God do that. I didn't mean to stand you up and now you're like, you're still preaching. I apologize for that, sort of. But, you know, here's the thing. I don't think that's a particular vocation for just some of us. The promise in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit that is given to all those who are far off in the language of Peter, to you and to your children's children, the language of the text there is that when the Holy Spirit comes, your sons and daughters will prophesy. It matters what you speak. It matters whether or not you prophesy 
in your own context, in your own spheres of influence. That stuff matters. Why am I still talking? Let's pray. Father, I ask you in the strong name of Jesus that right now by your spirit that you would hold us close. This is a safe space for all the things that we feel. Some of my brothers and sisters who are coming from a place of deep grief and lament and despair in ways that others of us cannot understand. I pray for the comforter to surround them, develop them now. Some of us, Lord, who, who have very particular things that we need to name, even those of us who are well-intentioned, but who haven't been able to acknowledge our privilege, our place, haven't been able to acknowledge, um, Lord, our own stubbornness to be involved in your work of reconciliation, still holding out to your kingdom, justice, and peace. Holy Spirit, in the stillness of this moment, could you search us and show us those things? And as we confess our pride, as we confess our arrogance, as we confess our indifference, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not loved those who are unlike us, who are somehow other than us. We have not loved them well. Maybe we've even wished them well, but we haven't loved them well. God, we repent. And we repent for things that are explicit and implicit, things that are intentional and things that we just didn't know what we're doing. In the words of that classic prayer of the church, things that we've done, things that are left undone, we bring those things into the light now for you to cleanse. I pray that you would give us the grace, Jesus, in vulnerability and humility, but also with courage and conviction to lead with our own repentance. Show us what that looks like in the places that we live, the places that we work, even within our own families. Lord, what it means to be faithful witness. And now I would ask you as we keep our eyes closed and we just kind of stay in this spirit and mode of prayer, I would ask you to join me as you feel led, even if this is not exactly where you come from, not normally how I do it either these days. But I think that there's something special about the sound of the people of God boldly speaking into the darkness and proclaiming the hope and freedom of God against and over every form of bondage. So with that in view, if you would join me in whatever way we, that you might feel led. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we call out white supremacy. We call out spirits of racism. And we cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that they have no power over these people here, over your people. They have no influence over us. Lord, we speak against those very powers and principalities, not just in the nation, but in this city in particular, at ground zero. We speak against those principalities and powers and we take authority in the name of Jesus Christ. We speak the peace of God's kingdom. We speak the hope of God's kingdom into every lie. And we proclaim with one voice as the people of God that for those who are all around us who are still in darkness, for those who are blind, we proclaim sight. And we pray, God, for a supernatural move of your spirit, even within this city where scales fall off of eyes. Lord, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We pray that even those who are the most deceived, God, we pray for Saul to Paul-like stories in this city and in this church, that for people who are in the most, the darkest kind of blindness, for their eyes to be open for the truth of who you are, Lord, we do pray for our enemies, for those that we feel like are opposed. We pray for their transformation. We will not match their hate with hatred, but we ask for your love to melt them. And I pray that even the loving witness of this community, this loving, beautiful, spirit-filled witness would melt the hearts that are cold. 
we speak against any and every principality and power that brings bondage, greed, we name it, and lust that consumes us, we name that. Gossip, we name each of these things. We name our own indifference and we just take the authority in the name of Jesus and we plead the blood of Jesus that breaks every chain and breaks every yoke. And we declare freedom in this place. We ask you now, God, and I pray specifically for your sons and daughters here. Fill them freshly with the Holy Spirit. Give them a deeper sense of intimacy with you. Give them a deeper sense of abiding in you and in your presence that you would abide in them and your words would abide in them. They would go forth in the might and the grace of the Holy Spirit. I would just encourage you right now, I'm not trying to drag this thing out and I'm not trying to make anything happen to be sure, but I'm thinking about Jesus praying uh, for the, even the breath of the Holy Spirit and his disciples. Just church, breathe him in. Just uh, breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe in his love for you. Breathe in his light in the middle of so much toxicity and darkness. Breathe in your own fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Let the love of God fill your lungs. Let the love of God wash over your insides. Where we ourselves are still walking in unforgiveness and bitterness, Lord, we just invite you to wash us and to cleanse us so that we might be agents of freedom to the world around us. Let this be a powerful, spirit-filled witness to this city. And let us, Lord, uh, far beyond this place, everywhere that we go, and I know that some of these sons and daughters are about to be sent right back out into places of deep darkness and oppression. Oh God, that you, they would be so full of your light and your love and power. They would not be weary in well-doing, but that, that, Lord, there would just be a fresh wind in their sails, that they would know that you were with them and for them and that you've called them, that they are being sent into the darkness. Sent, yes, like sheep among wolves, but full of your spirit, full of your love, full of your power. Fill us freshly with the Holy Spirit. Let us be agents of your healing, your hope, your reconciliation, and change. We ask it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys.